this guy, this guy had a big scar down his face. I said, how'd you get that scar? He said, oh, I was fighting for the honour of Sophie Marceau, the actress Sophie Marceau, with this film director <laughs> in Polish style. So I'm like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app or join our emailing list at coldwarconversations.com. Charlie Wilson was 18 in 1988. He travelled by train across a divided Eastern Europe that was starting to show signs of the changes that manifested themselves in 1989. He shares the stories of the interesting encounters he had along the way. Now, I'd like to thank some of our recent five-star reviewers in Apple Podcasts. They are Qwerty Keyboy, FizzlePop202, SimoVic, Days28, Tim of Townsville, and especially Mar Dave, who said, this is easily the best historical podcast out there. I'm not sure I agree, but I feel very flattered. Now, for three US dollars per month and larger amounts of welcome too, you can get the sought-after Cold War Conversations coaster as a monthly financial supporter of the podcast. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. Thank you so much to our 89 generous supporters who help keep the podcast available for all of you to listen to. In today's episode, I have a lively conversation with Charlie and don't miss the show notes where we share many of his photos of Eastern Europe on the cusp of major changes in Europe's political landscape. We welcome Charlie to our Cold War conversation. About 1988, 89, we used to do interrailing quite a lot, me and my, me and my friends. I, know it, I don't know if it still goes on or not. I don't know if you can still interrail. But basically, an interrail pass back then would give you, let's say, a couple of months free travel anywhere, including Eastern Europe. Um, because a lot of these countries, had signed, as long as the country had signed up to the interrail idea, then you could just go, you know, go all the way around. And the idea was what we, what we did, we had no money, obviously, is we used to sleep on the trains and then get off at a place, have a look around, etc. So I just I just did this for a couple of months, and I just carried on going. My mates gave up and went home. Because <laughs> inter interrailing in the eighties was sort of like a rite of passage for students, wasn't it? Uh, yes, safe to say. Yeah, and you and you'd meet a lot of interesting people, and there were also um, hostels. Although I, I once never again, and this is where the story starts because hostels. I can't sleep in the same room as other people. It just. <laughs> I just can't do it. And uh, I, I went to a hostel in um, Germany. I think it was somewhere in Munich, somewhere like that. And back at home, I was writing a book. Um, my first book, which was, was going to be the great Russian novel, even though I'd never been to Russia. So I decided that I was going to try and make my way to Russia and actually take notes and find out about it. And uh, so I'm, there I am, I'm 18, 19 years old, whatever, and I'm in this hostel and get chatting to this Polish guy. Um, and this guy's a mine of information. He's just, he's come from Poland and he's, he's allowed to travel out into Western Europe. So I was like, hmm, okay. Um, and it turns out he's a friend of that, that film director. 
So this guy, <laughs> this guy had a big scar down his face. I said, how'd you get that f- scar? And he said, oh, I was fighting for the honour of Sophie Marceau, the actress Sophie Marceau, with this film director <laughs> in Polish style, and he got a big scar. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting, you know, Poles being Poles. So we, we would sit there drinking swapping stories and he said uh, where are you heading next I was like well I'd like to go to Russia he said well you have to go through Poland obviously I said yes by, by train from here you'd have to go through Poland he said okay if you if you do if you do go look up these guys and he wrote down a, an address and name and telephone number and that was these are my friends Christoph and Dorota Wellman and they live in out in a district of Warsaw and you can go and look them up and you know I'll ring I'll, I'll, you can ring ahead Using pay phones, obviously, there's no mobile phones or internet then. Yeah, and um, I can't remember. So, so before we, sorry, um, Charlie, before we go go any further into this, because you you also mentioned that you started to study Russian and Hungarian. Yeah, that was uh, that was even after that. Because um, oh, so that, that's further down the the story after um, the Wellmans. I'm yeah? trying to remember whether we, we actually, sorry, tell a lie. We I had been to Hungary on an interrail trip the year before. Um, and when I came back, um, I started to look up uh, lots of Eastern European magazines and, and music. And uh, I, f- I found this hu- Hungarian cassette tape in a – there used to be a shop on Oxford Street. They used to do all the Warsaw Pact stuff, military magazines and everything like that. Oh, you know um, Collets. That's Collets, it. That's it. Collets, yeah. yeah. Absolutely brilliant. So I'm used to go in there all the time. Yeah, mate. me too. I did too. It's probably bumped into you in there. Very likely because I used to spend hours in there just reading. They used to be able to get um, the Red Army magazine, didn't they? Which was great because yeah, yeah. you could read about. I so wish I'd kept what I'd mm, bought in there. Me, but, me too. Know. It always gets thrown out, doesn't it? Yeah. So yeah. I used to get, go in there and I used to look through all these different, you know, Bulgarian music, which was interesting. And then it's Hungarian music. And I'd never heard anything like it. I was like, what is this? It's so strange. But really, dancey. It sounds like um, Looney Tunes music or some <laughs> action movie music. And I got really got hooked by it. I was like, right, okay, I'm, I'm going to – sooner or later, I'm going to go to Hungary properly and, you know, really embed myself. But that was later on. So I was – what eventually happened after all this was Hungarian bands came over to Britain, and I ended up doing um, roadieing for them. And also okay. at one point I became tour manager for one of them, so completely by accident, when I was 20 years old. So we were in Ireland, and their actual tour manager didn't show up. So I was like, right, well, you know, I'm the best English speaker here, I think, so let's do it. So the bug bit um, – and I got really into Hungarian – folk music and, and all that all that scene um so yeah i, I, I learned hungarian as much as i could because hungarian's a difficult language to learn isn't <laughs> it i think it's the, it's difficult. the it's the finnic ugric yes, um yeah. branch of languages it. yeah it's, i'm impressed it, i remembered that it, that's a useless bit of information to remember yeah it's actually dimly derived from mongolian and japanese although japanese is a hell of a lot easier um it's apparently the second most difficult language in the world apart from bushman click vocalizations so it's, but i learned i learned it by memorizing the songs um and wow. i just if you if you learn the songs then you can generally get in there but yeah it's, it's extremely difficult um and it, yeah. it's although having said that i found polish a lot more difficult uh, polish never really stuck with me I, it, although it's meant to be easier and russian's meant to be easier i just couldn't make it work but hungarian well what yeah what what did you make of hungary in the 
when you were there in probably 87? 88, I think we went over first right. um, into railing. I hooked up with a couple of American guys who were proper surfer dudes from California, and it was so funny, such a culture clash, because they were like, yeah, whoa, you know, they were proper Bill and Ted, these guys. And yeah. we found it. Well, the the shock was later because it was the first Warsaw Pact country I'd ever been to, and it was the middle of summer. It was very colourful. There's there's a lot. Hungary is a very colourful place. The food was fantastic. The women were so so good looking. (laughs) Um, They are. They're just great. Um, It reminded me a lot of Italy, Um, and everything was a bit weird. Um, but yeah, we had a good little look around and was like, "Oh, that's quite nice." Everything seemed to work quite well, although you get told. The, the phrase we always used to hear was Nemelhet, which means you can't, it's not not possible, forbidden. Um, telosh is also another one, forbidden telosh. So Nemelhet, everything, you know, you can't do that, come back later. But it wasn't drab. Um, the, the There was a, obviously a lot of Turkish influence still um, because of, you know, the Ottoman Empire. That's yeah. about as nearly as far as they got. Well, they got as far as Vienna, didn't they? But um, for, yeah. for a long time, Buda and Pest, two different cities. Um, I mean, it's a relatively re- recent country because up till about the end of, I think, was the middle of the 19th century, they didn't have an official language um, and they were a province of the Austrian Empire as well for a long time. So, so yeah, that was my first experience of Hungary and it, and it was great. Um, just, you know, again, the bug bit. And they, a lot of it, it, it reminded me a lot of North Africa as well, strange enough, because I used to go to Tunisia quite a lot when we when I was a kid uh, with my mum and dad, and the, the way they drive like maniacs, they drink black Turkish coffee, you know. The, it's and then of course, so that was Hungary, and then of course I went to East Berlin <laughs> and East Germany. <laughs> Jesus. So you do Hungary, and then this is when when you meet this Polish guy in, in West Germany. This is part of a second trip, isn't yes, it? Yes, that's right. Um, I've remembered now. I think it was Frankfurt where I met him because the day uh, before I'd been to Dachau. Right. So I came away from that with a raging hump, yeah. <laughs> as you would. Yeah. Ghastly place. So, yeah, um, I met this guy in uh, host, hostel in Frankfurt, I believe it was. So he's given me this information, and he says to me, these two guys are filmmakers. They make films. Uh, I said, like, oh, yeah, who do they make films for? Well, they make films for Solidarity. <laughs> okay. So this is 1988, 89. So it's still communism over there. And, it's, and you know, the wall hasn't come down. And is it still martial law at this point for Solidarity? Slowly crumbling. And you, when, when I actually got there, you could just tell that everyone had just given up. There was just this air of... To get there first, obviously, had to go through um, East Germany into West Berlin, through Checkpoint Charlie, um, and into East Berlin to make the connection. So a couple of days later, that's what I did. Um, and I went through Checkpoint Charlie at about half past 11 at night, and there was still a curfew at midnight. Um, and it is just like the films, or was just like the films. You come out, and everything's grey. It was raining. <laughs> So the wall that was knife. different, the other side of the wall, was it just... Uh, Sorry. Y- yes, <laughs> yes, it is. It is. You could just tell straight away. I mean, Berlin's a massive city. I didn't really get to look a lot of West Berlin at that time, but it just struck me. And it, when the train pulled in um, 
when, when, sorry, when we got the train later on, it was just like something out of a war movie, you know. Yeah. <laughs> People walking around in the same uniforms with dogs, you know, Alsatian dogs and leashes. And it was like, have you ever seen that Val Kilmer film, Top Secret, where they really take the mickey out of East Germany? It was exactly like that. Right. Right. And it, it was so strange because the um, I speak a little bit of German, yeah. And the custom the the guy the Grenzschutz uh, guy from I guess it was from the NVA or someone like that, one man in the checkpoint, said to me, "You've you've basically got till midnight, like half an hour. You've you've got till midnight to find yourself accommodation in the other side." And I said to him, "Come um, which is uh, what you mean, like Cinderella." And he said, "Yeah, exactly that, like Cinderella. <laughs> you better get moving." Um, so I plonked out the other side i'm in east berlin and it, the rain's coming down and it's gray and it's like oh god and i remember saying to myself under my voice what a, sh- what a dump and as i said it i walked around the corner and I'm, kid you not there was a guy like a vox polizei guy in the uniform with a big alsatian dog just looking at me <laughs> i was like god this place um so i got moving mm. and I, I was just walking around and it's half 11 and I've got a half an hour to find somewhere. Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week to be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War. As a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. And up ahead of me, I saw some British army soldiers. And I think there was some, some Highland regiment because they had the full, you know, the little hackles on their berets and all that kit moving in a book mm. of four very purposefully. I'm thinking, you know, what are they doing in East Berlin? Turns out they are um, part of the patrols that were allowed on both sides. And they were just doing a bit of a show of force, really. So I sort of tagged in behind them. We walked for a bit and didn't acknowledge each other. And then they went past the Hilton, all places, like or some, some big American hotel. So I just went straight in there with a load of cash in my pocket and got a room, and it was brilliant, you know, bar service and everything. And the next morning I woke up and went to this little restaurant, and you could see the old Fernsey term, you know, the classic thing with yeah, the big the ball Yeah, the TV tower, yeah. The TV tower, yeah. We weren't too far, was not too far from there. I don't know if it was a Hilton, but it was a very posh Western-style hotel. I thought, was well, it I, near I the lucky. cathedral? The Dom. I I don't know. I don't know because the next morning I really got my head down. I went to a soup kitchen which was outside, which was just unbelievable. It was literally people serving up borscht or slop in a big plastic bowl. You sat outside in the rain and ate, ate it with a bit of bread. I was like, well, this is fab, isn't it? Um, and I, I think I I didn't really want to look around because the place was so dreary. Um, and I got straight on a train, went through East Germany, um, like in those photos that I uploaded for you, yeah. um, and ended up in Warsaw. Okay. Can I just hold you there? Can I just hold yes. you there coming into Warsaw? I just want to hear a little bit more detail, if you can, on your crossing through checkpoint, Charlie. So you arrive, you get a train through to West 
Berlin. So you cross through East Germany from West Germany. Yes. Yeah. So you arrive yeah. in West Berlin, probably the zoo station or somewhere like that. I think it was zoo station, yeah. Yeah. And then you uh, get to Checkpoint Charlie and your your first view of it is is – you know, I, I've because I've been through Checkpoint Charlie myself. Is you come around that corner, or you get out the mm-hmm. U-bahn, and mm-hmm. you just see that sort of like hut thing in the middle of the yes. road. <laughs> yeah, and you are now leaving the American sector and all that. E- exactly, e- big sides. Exactly, yep. and you cross that painted white line on the on the yes. road. Yeah, and then you you follow this path round. And you go into some buildings where they check your documentation and search your bags. And also you have to exchange your fixed amount of currency, I presume, as well. Yes, you're very strict on they weren't you weren't allowed to take any foreign currency in. You had to be careful about what you swapped over. Of course, once you got to the other side, the black market was every single person wanted to change money with you, <laughs> but but very quietly. Yeah. It's, it's very furtively. In Warsaw, it was different. No one gave a damn. You know, it, yeah. Everyone changed. I, I ended up with the biggest brick of Zlotties you've ever seen. <laughs> $20? Yeah, okay. But yeah. Um, even, even then, it was still a proper police state and you could just tell it was a police state and they had their eye on you. And Every single – I found out later, obviously, as you know, every single person from the West that went in there um, was monitored, every single one. So scary stuff. So you get the train from East Berlin. It, I think off the top of my head it takes about three or four hours to get to Warsaw itself. Um there's a guy. <laughs> that's what makes these um, scanning these photos in so great. Um, if you remember, I put photos up and I thought they were somewhere. And it turns out there's a Hungarian guy on the Facebook group, and he's like, "No, that is the building I worked in." <laughs> Brilliant. That's, that's the breadth of knowledge we have in the. It's great. It's fantastic. He's like, "No, I can tell which way you were going." And even <laughs> I was like, "Right, okay, I stand corrected." Yeah. And then he was like, "Well, you know, you weren't going that way over the bridge. That's the wrong bridge. That's Chain Bridge, not Erzsébet Bridge." I was like, "Oh." Oh, yeah. yeah, that's the yeah, that's the beauty of it, isn't it? So yes, um, arrived in Warsaw in the evening, and it was a completely different vibe. It, it, I think it was a weekend, and I've, obviously, I've all I've got is um, an address of these people that are in a suburb called Ursinov of Warsaw. Warsaw's a big town, big city, mm. and you come out of the railway station, and it's different from East Germany in that no one gives a damn. There's everyone is moonlighting as a cab driver. So there's big, there's a big uh, taxi rank of just cars and people just come straight up to you because they can obviously tell you're Western just by the clothes you're wearing. Although for some reason I get mistaken for a Soviet Red Army soldier uh, later on in this day, but that's another story. I think it's because I was wearing, cool. had a green army rucksack and very, very short hair. I was going to um, say, your hair must have been very short to be mistaken with somebody in the was, Red Army. It was a number one cut, and I got spat at um, by a bunch of kid youths, and I was like, "Well, you know, what are they spitting at me for? I'm, what am I?" Um, and I asked around. It's that someone said to me, "They think you're Red Army." I was like, right. "Yeah, okay, all right, doing what?" But anyway, um, so yeah, you come out, you, and everyone's hustling, and a guy just walks up to me, and he's your classic smuggler type black market guy, you know, with a gold tooth, and he's like, uh, "Do you want to change money?" I said, "Yeah." So changed up a. You know, out of my belt, got some dollars or some pounds or whatever the 
can't remember, but got a, got a brick of money. And then he said, uh, you got anywhere to stay? I was like, no, not at present. I'm just going to Skype around. He said, please come around mine if you like. So, <laughs> So, all right, so off we go in his Ziguli, or lot, I don't know what car it was, but we go tearing off, and uh, it turns out <laughs> black market traders, a gypsy, I think they were gypsies, and that was one of the photos of that was his wife and her wife's mate, and they, they, they it was the classic thing they were trading in jeans and and you name it, and his wife was out, she was doing something I don't know where she was, and me and this guy just sat up all night drinking bison vodka, which is lethal stuff. <laughs> you know, with the little uh, – it's made from – not made from bisons. It's made from uh, some sort of grass that they, they grow in Poland, and it's, it's yellow. So we're, up, we're toasting people. We're, yeah, we're toasting Margaret Thatcher. We're toasting Gorbachev. We're to- By the time his wife comes about, we're toasting Stalin, and it, we were, it was a mess. And then she gets involved, and we're all drinking. So I stayed around there the first night. Mm. And I hadn't registered. I'd gone straight there. So you were in those days, you were meant to register with the local militia office about who you were, where you were going, where you were staying. Mm. But I didn't. I just didn't bother, did I? So I was in trouble straight off the bat. And they were like, well, you know, what are you doing? In that case, you've got to keep moving. So, all right, where do I go? Well, we've got a friend, another gypsy. She's a lovely old lady. You can stay around hers. So I got dropped off around hers the next day. <laughs> She's a little babushka lady who was a gypsy. And she was also a black market trader. And I stayed around hers. She had a couch because obviously people just came through all the time. And I stayed in her front room. And she taught me how to recognize forged notes. And she had all this little kit. She had a little kit of pencils. And she showed me how to do could get aluminium off different notes and how to recognize it with color pencil. So I got a master class in <laughs> recognizing st- uh, forged currency and then moved on and got a cab to Ursinov and went, found a flat. Well, he found a flat for me, this uh, taxi driver guy, and then changed some more money with him and then found Christoph and Dorota Velman's flat. Now, this is the big surprise because you know, if you recall, when I said I stayed around the Wellman's house, there was that guy who said, your friend who said, you mean the Dorota Wellman? I was like, the Dorota Wellman? She's a TV presenter now, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, apparently. Another I another have... um, success with uh, the Facebook group as well, informing mm. you of that. I had no idea. So, But back then, they were the Solidarity Solidarnosc film unit um, or even they used to call themselves the film propaganda unit because it's not propaganda is not a dirty word in the in the eastern Bloc. it just means propaganda and they're lovely lovely couple so Very- just i, do, I just want to understand so you just knock on their door and were, were they, they expecting pre- you yes they were expecting me i can't remember i, th- I think the guy i'd met in uh frankfurt had, had effected the introduction i think he'd rung him up and told him or one of us had i i, I didn't arrive completely unannounced right. they were expecting and me. where were they in did um, they live in a block of flats or what, what yes was it? they lived yeah and yet it was a classic um ursinov is a real project if you you know if you imagine the projects it's that kind of place a, a very quite grim yeah it's all high rise class. High blocks. rises, yeah, um, yeah, high rise blocks. So nothing, nothing fancy at all. Very nice flat, you know. On the outside, it's as you imagine. You know, there's a pram in the hallway, smells of cabbage. Um, but inside, great big record collection. And of course, we're staying up all night because they're quizzing me about the West, and and I'm quizzing them about. Well, they get the photo book out. Um, for instance, they were at Gdansk when the big riots happened taking photographs, and they showed me the shots of right. um, 
And when when we we in Gdansk in the 1970s. This was the 80s. Or, this was a bit more a bit a bit more recent right. to then. This is when the the, the the original solidarity the shipyards demos. Um, yes, they showed yeah. me a photograph which has never been seen. I don't think I've ever seen it elsewhere of a man being shot by the police or militia or the riot. The what they called O O S O or something like that. There was this. Omon. There was something like the Omon, the, the heavy mob. Yeah. Um, they had a photo of a guy being shot point blank range um, at one of those demos. So it's just amazing stuff like that. And, and then them meeting the Pope, <laughs> which is a big thing, of course, to polls, because the Pope yeah. was, Lech, uh, was um, Pope John Paul. Um, and I think uh, Lech Wenzel met the Pope at a similar time as well, which was a bit, it's a the big thing, you know, Pope. And I can't remember when the Pope visited Poland, but that was a, a big event for polls. Yeah, that was the early eighties, around about the start of solid- solidarity. Yeah. Um, that was, and could they speak English very well? Very, right. very westernised. Um, <laughs> the funny thing was, I said, "You got, you know, you into music? What you got?" And the only, the most western thing they had were, were massive, simply red fans. So he, they had stars. So he stayed up all night listening to stars. Uh, yeah. So, oh my goodness! That was one thing, yeah. Sorry Simply about that. red. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that was like a, a an oasis in a, you know. And then after that, I left there the next day. I can't remember. If I stayed there two nights. Or I think we stayed two nights, but I had a little look around town, and then remembered that I had to register with the militia station. So I I found um, after a little wandering around. I found the militia station and just wandered in and presented myself, and I got an absolute bollocking. There was a woman upstairs. She was, you know, I think it was the secret police, actually. And she said, where have you been? And I was like, oh, just there's no way I'm going to tell them who I'm staying with and drop them in it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think I just acted the stupid tourist, and I didn't tell them because they'd have been in severe trouble. Um, and then money was ex- uh, handed over, of course, like everything else around there. Um, and I had the rest of the day to wander around and get on a train, get out of there, basically. Right. But the impression I got was I had to wander around I had the, till the evening. To, there's a night train that was very useful to catch. The night train would uh, go right through. Look, I think we just go through East Berlin. It may have even gone straight through um, because eventually I was going to somewhere near Amsterdam to get the ferry back. So there are trains that travel dead at night that can take you right the way through Europe. I don't know if I changed or not, but so I had a little sign few hours to kill and just wandering around warsaw the air the aura was like the place has given up soldiers and police don't really care anymore you, know, you could tell that it was all on the way out i think the wall came down about when did the wall actually come down it wasn't long after that actually well it's november 89 you were there in 88 i think you yeah you so sent me in your notes. It, it's weird because in east germany the grip was tight it's utter Police, oppressive police state breathing down your neck. In Poland, it was they were still trying, but no one, no one really gave a damn about them anymore. I just didn't feel that oppression or anything like that. So that was Poland, right? So it was it was quite relaxed there, and um... I don't know about relaxed. There was a sort of vibe. I saw a lot of violence there. Poles when they have a drink, I saw punch-ups uh there was just a, a there's just an atmosphere of just a, you know i got spat at but that's because they thought i was a red army soldier um yeah and also there was racist graffiti in the subways um even then you know i was thinking well okay there were skinheads. there was also strangely enough i i, I met a guy 
it was a bit of a party animal over there when I was wandering around, and he was like, um, "We've got a we've got a Rasta club. If you want to go and see it, <laughs> I was like, Rasta club? What here? I was like, what, what you mean? There's there's black geese over here? He said, No, no, they're just poles, but they're Rastas. So like, okay, all right. Um, and we have lesbian club. I was like, all oh, right. So it was all there if you if you want yeah. to if you want to find it. But yeah, but it's yeah, the atmosphere was different. But again, different from Hungary. It was Hungary? They always said was the happiest block in the prison camp um it's just a completely different vibe but- yeah yeah well hungary after 1956 um i think the government realized that they they couldn't be too hard line and i think it was one of the um you know certainly with consumer goods and things like that i think were, were more available in hungary poland poland had massive debt and that was one of the the challenges is they'd got up to their eyes in foreign debt trying to subsidize everything and then the chickens came back to roost in the late 80s yeah and then there was martial law etc etc um in hungary even under the warsaw pact days they did allow people to travel to do um seasonal work so for instance some of the guys i met in hungary much later used to come and work in essex picking uh the jam factory for instance they were allowed to, to to work abroad just for the summer when they were students and then earn quite a bit of good money and then come back. And, and also the border was not porous, but the tradition back then was that Austrians used to travel to Budapest on the train line and back for the weekend, a bit like we did the Channel, Channel mm-hmm. Ferry, you know, booze trip. Um, they had a similar thing where Austrians would come and load up on the, on the good food. I, I don't know if Hungarians did a similar thing. Um, I know a lot of Hungarians that I used to stay with used to go to Romania um, and buy folk goods, things like that. So, yeah, there was there was a bit of movement here and there. Yeah. Obviously, in Romania, obviously, there's a large Hungarian section in Transylvania, so there was a, a bit of um, interchange with that as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when you're with Christoph and Dorota, how long are you with them for, just the day? Mm, not more than two days, I think. Not more right. Than two days. And what, what else did I you do, do with them? Um, I have a photo of me and them on a tram. So I know we went out on a tram at one point, but I think I just mm. said my bade my farewells at some point and just had a wander. Um, just saw see where it could take me. Um, the train back was interesting because I, I paid the – there was a conductor guy that ran really ran the train, and he was right at the end of the back carriage. And uh, for a small consideration, he will look after you, as in dollars in – in your passport and you hand your passport over to him and then you yeah. snuck in, you sleep, go into a so-called sleeping carriage. We didn't do any sleeping. We drank all night with these Polish guys, but you don't get bothered. Um, you, you can go through the border and he will say, yeah, yeah, these are the passports. You know, you know it's it, I, again, the details are a bit fuzzy <laughs> because we were drinking all night, but we made it. I made it out without any aggro. It's the bison vodka taking. We effect. were definitely on the vodka yeah. on the way. But the air's bison. But it doesn't have that much of an effect on me, but my God, it had the effect on the, everyone else in the carriage. But I learned a lot of Hungar- uh, Polish swear words in that carriage. So. Right, right. Did um, I'm, ju- I'm just interested with uh, Christoph and Dorota because obviously they're quite key personalities within the solidarity movement. Did they talk to you much about you know, what they'd had to deal with over the years and some of the scrapes they'd got into or not? Or can't you remember? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. Um, they were quite they, – they 
didn't gloss over it, but they were just quite matter of fact about it. They just said, this is what we do. We take photographs for solidarity. Here are some other photographs. Um, this is what really happened at Gdansk. But because they lived it, they weren't really sensational about it. And um, yeah, they were just, they, they wanted to, they wanted to pick my brains really. You know, they wanted to know what's the West like, you know, what can, what can yeah. we expect? Very, very West, very Westernized, very outward facing people. Not, 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 Completely different, obviously, from the uh, gypsy black market mm-hmm. people because they were old, older generation. They were kind of, you know, this is what we do and we're, this is what we're always going to do. Um, but uh, Christoph and Dorota, you know, very good English speakers, spoke Russian as well. I think Russian was taught compulsorily in schools back then in Poland. Okay. But they spoke Okay, because I'm thinking of uh, possibly trying to contact them because I'm looking to do some more Polish episodes but uh i'm looking for some decent english speakers and it sounds like they would fit the bill whether they would remember the uh the crazy english guy that turned up in 1988 (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe not um dorota i believe dorota is actually on facebook i don't know whether she actually uses it a lot um like i can i've got i've got other other means and ways so uh i will uh try and um get get in contact with her but oh but, cool because uh, that that yeah. would be interesting to hear her her story and appreciate you know charlie this was this was a long time ago and you were young <laughs> and interested in other things who so, uh yeah you know the the details yeah. a bit hazy well, i was, I was in- I was engaged at the time. This is, I, I left my fiance behind to do all this nonsense. <laughs> I went off for two months just yeah. going around and then came back to her like nothing had happened. And how did yeah. that end up? <laughs> oh, we broke up years later. Oh. But, uh, she was she, she knew that I had to go out and do my do my thing. Yeah, know? yeah. But it was yeah. it was all research for the book that, that that did get written, and then I burnt the manuscript. But that's not a, oh that no, just, God, I was going to ask no, you about was, the book. It was rubbish. It was oh. overwritten. It was overwritten nonsense, and it just gave me a good. You've you got to be ruthless. You've got to kill your darlings. I mean, I do right now. Um, I, I write a book series and some spin-offs, but uh, it just taught me a lesson, which was don't get carried away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Learn, learn the craft yeah. first. But I mean, this but, is priceless because you were traveling around Eastern Europe on the cusp of it really just disappearing as. Yes. as we w- we would know it then and in some really yeah. interesting countries you know Hungary, Hungary Poland um a little taste of east germany which sounds like wasn't that palatable for you no it was it was awful and did you get to the soviet union because i know that that was your plan was no it, to- no i never made it because obviously because i'd fallen foul of the militia i thought well i've really over literally overstayed my welcome here if i keep going i'm really going to push it and if i got in this much trouble by the time i get to russia you know god knows what the kgb will make of me who have you been staying with um so i just thought better i said i said to myself i'll come back another time mm-hmm. because interrailing you, you the great thing about interrailing is so open-ended you, we used to go come back to britain regroup get some more money go out again um and you'd unlimited travel so I, the, the idea in my mind was i'd go back to russia at some point but i never did i never went yeah i still like to go actually yeah, same here. It's one of those countries I've I've uh, never been to, but I am constantly fascinated by. Any anything else Cold War, Charlie? You want to share with us? 
Um, yeah, I wish I, <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll tell you one last story. And I was reluctant to talk about it on the Facebook group because I don't have the photograph. I don't know where it's gone. I think I gave it to someone in the British Army. Me being me, me being a bit, bit of a, a, a Russian army equipment anorak, all the way through East Germany, I'm leaning out of the train carriage because it was summer. Um, taking photographs of all the rolling stock and there was a lot of armored vehicles on the rolling stock so this is on my camera roll on my little you know portable camera yeah um this is you know obviously before the days of memory cards and everything like that so it's actually on wet film in the camera and being naive i'm wandering around when i wandered around berlin the next day before i caught the train i was yeah i was near the fernseh to them and it's a shopping district isn't it yeah and Lo and behold, outside a big department store was a little uh, Red Army UAS Jeep. You know, the little UAS Jeeps, the like yeah. little staff car you know, with the UAS you know, and a little red star in it, full of guys. And I was like, oh, look, a UAS Jeep. And I took a photograph of it. And I took a photograph just as this guy was getting out of the vehicle. And he was the classic Red Army Major, just like Colonel Stock in the Ipcrest file. Right. <laughs> Get funeral from Berlin, funeral yeah, in yeah. Berlin, you know, you know, the guy Colonel St- Colonel Stock, yeah, yeah. Hey, with, English, English, well, English, yeah, and he has the big what they call the flying saucer, you know, that big hat, and he just, I, I wish I could find the photograph because he's just, he looks so angry and he's about to point at me because <laughs> you know he doesn't want me taking a photograph of him, and I took the photo and turned. I thought, shit, what do I do now? And when he, and then all his little buddies got out, you know, his Batman, I suppose they were, I don't know what they were. Mm. And I thought they were coming after me. So I, I went into this department store. And at the time, it was the only escalator in the whole of East, <laughs> East Germany. And I went the wrong way up it trying to get away from these guys. And I, I think I, they, they didn't come after me. I probably because they just weren't that bothered. But uh, yeah, somewhere, somewhere in my stack of photos, in a cupboard somewhere, is a photo of a very angry major type guy getting out of a jeep, looking at me. So, stoy, idisana, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, but yeah, well, Jason Bourne. I was there first. Yeah, we definitely uh, love to see that. I think, I think what I did was, and I'll never get it back because you know what British Army squad is like. When I when I developed the fo- uh, the reel, when I came back home eventually, um, uh, for, uh, one of a, a cousin of mine was um, in the army uh, in weapons intelligence section. I said, "Oh, here, have a look at these. These are from Eastern Germany. I think he's got them." So you know, I won't see them again. So yeah, no. so, somewhere in a somewhere in a cupboard in the intelligence corps is a picture of a major gouging in East Berlin. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, they're, they're, those are amazing uh, accounts there. Thank you. If you like what you're hearing, sign up to our email list at coldwarconversations.com. And we have further photos, videos and information on this episode in our show notes, which will show as a link in your podcast app. Don't forget, if you'd like to get one of those Cold War Conversations coasters help keep us on the air, then head over to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. And if you can't wait for the next episode, do visit our Facebook discussion group where listeners just like you continue the Cold War Conversation. Just search for Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye.
not enjoying the ads? Well, you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. By becoming a monthly or annual supporter, you'll enjoy ad-free listening, become a part of our community, receive the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster, and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information.